Deep down. The morning sun opened my eyes, my bones hurt. I was laying down over Ramon, with my face on his shoulder, and even though I felt like I had slept over a rock, I got up more tired than before the sleep. The neck all twisted, and I don't know more because I didn't feel nothing. Not the legs, nor the rest. He was sleeping. He looked quiet and happy. Too quiet. For a few seconds in that pleasant morning, I was panic-stricken. And what if I had slept over a dead body? Yes, I might be selfish, but at least sincere. That was the first thing I thought. I know I should think. For God's sakes, don't let him be dead, which also thought afterwards. The first thing was the revolting feeling of being over and off piece pork fat. But in my defense, I must say, it lasted a few thousands of a second. Just little thousands. When I reacted, After that little thousandth of a second, I leaned my ear over his chest and it beat, with a little heart murmur, I guessed. But it made boom, 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 as a clock, and he was bleeding. The air went in and out of his chest harmonically, and the pound. That brewer punch also did, more loud than harmonic, but it did. And I was so concentrated looking at that whale that came out of the horizon blue line when he woke up. The calmness of his face vanished as he opened the eyes and proceeded to moans, which consoled me. Not only I was getting old. He sat up and looked around. And the good? He asked, surprised. I hadn't even noticed it. I also looked around and the forest had gone. There were some trees left. More or less the same there were at the former garden. I didn't even try to pretend I knew it. I shrugged my shoulders and accepted the good disappearance as an universal truth, and that's that. They may be as those flowers they only flower by night, I said. He looked at me not very convinced. It seemed my explanation hadn't been enough for him, but he didn't say anything. He waited for a few minutes and then got up went down to the water to wash his face. I'd rather wait to get into the water completely. The tide was high and the only chance to get the dry land was swimming. And since he realized, he took it easier. We sat down for a while, waiting for him to gather his strength to swim the two meters to the water's edge. They even were less than two, because the tide 
was getting lower in the time he took to get ready. In dry land, I asked him what we were going to do. He wasn't surprised I had included myself in the question. I imagined he imagined I was not willing to give in more than those millions of euros they had just stolen from me. Are we going to talk to your civil servant's accomplice? I asked. Sure, he said at the monthly. While we were walking, he found the counselor, talking half in code. It seemed he needed her permission to step forward. When he hung up, he looked calm and confident. Let's see, Sianna, seriously, do we trust each other? He asked it seriously. I doubt it. He was talking serious, and I seriously doubt it. Well, I didn't want to mean that. I actually wanted to mean if I can trust you. He asked also serious. So serious he was talking, I got the jiggles. Well, it doesn't matter. He said walking fast and speaking to himself. You are the only thing I had, so I had to put up with you. Anyway, you are the only one who knows the whole story, at least the whole story I know. I looked at him condescending. Did I know the whole story? The whole story he knew. Maybe I did, but at that stage it was hard to believe. He made a pair of calls more and we went to have breakfast. We stood there until he received a text, and then we left. We went to an open ground, not to have a rolling hay. No longer, another car arrived and stopped next to his. From it got down a grey-haired man, with poor devil look and feel-sorry eyes. Ramon got out too and invited me to go with him. Of course I did. I wanted to find out everything about business. What's up? Ramon said to the unknown man. Nothing, the other man said. Don't you say nothing, Ramon said. Well, you'll say, the other man said. I almost went back to the car because I was about to lose control. What's up? Nothing. Don't you say nothing? Well, you'll say. What kind of conversation was that? Let's see, Arjimiro. Where are the deeds? Ramon asked at last. With the rest of the briefcases. You just know it. Arjimiro replied. There, Ramon got serious. He shouted at him in the way he did when he got mad. And the other got much more poor devil's face. I almost felt sorry for him, not Ramon. Ramon punched the car's bonnet, the so-called Archimiro's car, not his, of course. The poor man jumped backwards, fearing he was the next. I swore blind. At a fine time, I was going to be here. He said, pretending to be sincere. Ramon knew a lot about it. He saw through him immediately. Ramon told him, he was there because he had to be there to make the movement and also told Argemiro 
not to infuriate him. The man looked down, and when he looked up again, he told Ramon he didn't know more about the deeds, that he had put them into one of the briefcases he used to hide the money, that he made a mistake, that he was a poor, scattered brain, that he was half-wit and kept on with a string of self-compassion arguments that Ramon listened, breathing patience. I was staring at them with curiosity. I felt sorry for the man. I didn't think Ramon was wrong, but there was a chance. Ramon raised his hand again, took hit the bonnet, I hoped, because I didn't feel like meeting a violent Ramon. But Arjimiro, that might know him better than me, or might have something to hide, was afraid. No, you are right, no, I have them, I have them, he said, covering his face with his hands on the defensive, they could say in CSI. Go ahead, Ramon said, pointing at the car to get into. Arjimiro put his hands down slowly. Distrusting, it was a mislead movement to catch him unawares and punched him right in the nose. And he wasn't convinced until Ramon began to walk and opened the door. I suppose he would think that the open ground wasn't the last thing he wanted to see in that sunrise. He didn't say a word in the car. He kept still as he was sentenced and the seatbelt was the chain. Ramon, that knew everything, went to his place, parked and looked at him. This is it, right? Ramon said with cockiness. Alhimir nodded. It was a detached house painted in salmon pink with a clothes horse at the porch. He also took his time to get out of the car. It was clear. He didn't feel like letting the chicken go, but he had an other option. Ramon had that determination and the look that gave him back the old times charm. Alhimiro was a civil servant of the lifelong dull civil servants. He had entered the corpse because someone pulled strings for him, as it should be. He wasn't very ambitious. He had never stood for any party list, however much they insisted. He neither took part in any intrigue, however large the sum they wrote down on the check was. He was a thrifty that was happy with working not much, spending a lot of time with his family and having a hobby, not very expensive, that let him cut off from both family and work. He was unshockable, and he saw them coming as soon as they asked him about his granddaughter, who was his proud and the main reason they slip away from him at the coffee time, and also the they want something indicator. Of course, in that turbulent times of briefcases and deeds, he was the only one they could trust. It took him years to earn 
that upright man's reputation. And even though he hadn't done it on purpose, it was going to be more profitable than all the little change they dared to call bribes that had spurred for his years of duty. He had in front of him, in the same day, a truck full of euros and some deeds that would be much more valuable than the euros. He plenty knew the notes were marked. They neither had blind faith in him. But he also knew that put the pressure on him was admitting too much. He doubted a bit more with this thing. He didn't see the profit so fast. In fact, it was his wife on the phone who told him to take them just in case because they didn't took up too much room either. He thought she was right as always, so he took one of that folder remaining from some European subsidy and kept the deeds in it. He put the money into a cardboard box of paper to recycle. Some hundreds of bundles. He began by his part and then the briefcases they wanted to bury. And from time to time he went to see his cardboard box, pulled the worn-out sticky tape off, smelled the scent of the euros and sniggered. Nobody distressed him. When the councillors asked him about the deeds, he put the Monday face of not having any idea of what they were talking about. And they bought everything he wanted to. When they came for the suitcases with the money, they didn't even took the trouble to count them. Not even to open them to check if they were empty. In that moment, he thought he had robbed too few. But he also thought he had to be cautious, and he put his malice face again. For a long time, he went to work as he had done every day, without changing a single thing of his routine, or far for excessive luxuries, or drawing attention to himself. Afterwards, he retired and lost touch with the council's people, and it was then when he took advantage to build what would be his retirement in a Caribbean island he had bought. There were a few months left for the works to begin, and the deeds were worth his children's future, his granddaughters, and they too. Even they lived for a thousand years. He didn't even get nervous when the councillor called to tell him they hadn't found the briefcase down there. Although he was surprised, they found him, and they took the trouble to search for the deeds. He thought that the interest couldn't remain for long, that they could be entertained with other things. He simply said they had to be there, or maybe other person had taken them. But again, his wife had an eye for the main chance and told him to make some copies just in case he had to confess. The original deeds were kept with his house deed. 
the island's paper, the family's book, and some American postcard from an unruly uncle. The others were in the safe of the house, together with the golden watch they gave him when he retired, the pearl necklace, and some other jewel from his wife's family. Ahimir went before us, moved the clothes horse aside, and opened the door with that civil servant's calmness and with that willing of poor devil that made me feel sorry for him. Since he opened the door, his wife on her slippers, apron, and with the same poor devil's face Arhimiro had, came out, looked at us as if we were from the tax office, and grabbed her husband's arm to cheer him up. He cursed her hand and went to the living room like the one in high noon. The woman stood leaned against the kitchen door's frame with distressed air, seeing us going after her husband. At the living room, he told us to sit down, and he took down a painting with a bouquet of pink, red and blue flowers. His wife offered us a coffee we declined, Ramon because he was busy staring at her husband, I because I was busy watching Ramon. Without a doubt, to me, he had recovered his former charm. The lack of the painting showed the safe. Ahimiro placed between the safe and us not to let us see which numbers made click when the little wheel went round. It opened at last and took out a folder tied with a maroon lace. He put it on the center table, undid the lace and gave it to Ramon. Ramon opened it, not because he didn't trust Arjimiro. He had so much faith in his tough guy attitude that not even had crossed his mind the poor devil was taking us in. But he opened it, touched the paper, and checked the deeds official stamps and put them against the light. I don't know why. They weren't marked, not a serigraphy. He looked at me with satisfaction and tied the maroon lace again. He made a gesture to Arjimiro, saying everything was right, and we left. Arjimiro kept on with that jumpy little kitty look that got to move me. We were in silence. I didn't speak because I had nothing to say. And Ramon didn't speak because he was so full he couldn't believe it. At the traffic lights, he took a quick look to the back seat to make sure the folder was still there and he smiled satisfied. We went to the hotel, parked the car and went up using the service lift. To be a sorry fine hotel could have an elevator a bit more suitable. No, the elevator ends at the hall and I don't want people to see us. Ramon said, I don't know what so much secrecy was in aid of. Folder didn't have a big neon sign that said stolen deeds.
but everyone has their paranoias. Mine was I didn't trust him. But as he also said, he counted on that. He and I. As soon as we got into the room, he threw the keys on the table, closed the blinds, switched the lights on. Of course, he should do it the other way around, but it was his room, so he decided. When the daylight couldn't get in, he sat down on the bed and opened the folder. It was one of these accordion folders that would weigh a lot because it was thick as an encyclopedic dictionary with ultra-thin pages. He spread the deeds out on the bed. He was looking for ones in particular. I sat down on a chair next to the door. I didn't know if getting closer. And given he didn't invite me and that in some businesses the less you know the better, I decided it was better not to do it. He took his time to choose the ones he was looking for, just a few, twenty or so. He checked them again and left them on the bedside table. Afterwards, he took the folder, tied the lace that closed it, got up, gave me the deeds he had put on the bedside table and told me to keep them because he couldn't let them at the hotel. Then, very kindly, he invited me to go with him carrying the thick folder. He made me go down using the service lift again and go out through the garage that smelled of clothes and leaded petrol and burnt wheel. And yes, I had to go out on my own foot. When I arrived home, I took a nap. All my body hurt, because sleeping under the stars might be very romantic, but too bad for the bones. It was dark when I woke up. All was in silence. I didn't have any missed phone call on the cell and nothing to do on the diary. Well, just nothing to do because I didn't have a diary. Then, to spend the time while I listened to the latest gossip news, I took the deeds Ramon had given me. They didn't seem interesting to me, just some buildings of the city center, some of them from the old San Andres street, others near the central shops, and some other at the marina. But they weren't big buildings, nor the former owners were well-known names. I looked at them again, slowly, to see their interesting point. The pages were very dry. I had to wet my finger over and over to be able to turn the pages. I felt a kind of disgust because I always recall two things when I automatically do that gesture. One, the name of the rose. And the other, only God knows where this paper had been before. The paper showed my index damp fingerprint. And strangely enough, my finger was turning into a black color pretty suspicious. Poison, 
I thought, no, it should be blue. I imagined, because in the movies it always was blue. I gazed at the paper, not without some kind of panic, and I saw, with some relief, the letters were smudged. A good thing from the health's point of view, but it didn't seem too good from the deed's point. How was it possible? The letters of some deeds breaking with a typewriter of those old typewriters that left mark even without ink, of those they had a heavy awful metal table with wheels were fading. How possible it was! I checked all the pages again. In that moment I was more concerned about finding out the smashed letters mystery than about the consequences of half destroyed the deeds Ramon longed for. The paper seemed normal. It didn't smell of anything out of the ordinary. And the lecture actually looked like the typewriters. There weren't black lines next to the edges that showed a photocopy. And I couldn't do much more. One watches CSI but has a clear lack of means. So amused I was that I didn't even hear what should be Ramon's first knocks on the door. I'm saying this because which I did listen to were quite violent and his face was the one of having been there for long and of being thinking I had gone away to the Caribbean with the famous deeds. What the hell is going on? I asked using the attack as defense. Nothing, nothing, he said in an unfriendly way. He tried to move me away from the door to go in. I didn't let him because at the hotel he made me go in using the service lift and I was going to make him sweat. Just a little, because from unfriendly went to serious and from there to an expression I didn't like. I moved the hand aside and he went in in a hurry searching the deeds. He didn't say it. He had it all written on his face. When he saw them scattered, he censored me with the look. And when he realized that as well as being scattered, they were smashed, the first thing he did was coming next to me and check my hands. It could be a very deductive behavior in me. In him was a habit he picked up in his job and Distrust. He began to shout hysterically, to walk from one side to the other as he was in labor. He took that relaxing breath he always took to fill himself with patience and looked at the deeds again. Well, you can read them well anyway, he said at last. Yes, you can. I said with sarcasm. He didn't realize my words' meaning, but I insisted. You know, it's weird the letters got smashed.
Maybe they are not real. Sure, the PTR Himiro used the same make feel sorry technique street traits use. You know this, you know the other. He took long to pay attention to me, as if my words resounded into his head and the echo took long to arrive. When it arrived, he raised the sight and looked at me as if I had discovered the most amazing thing of the world. He left the deeds scattered like they were, grabbed my arm and we ran downstairs. Ramon drove like crazy, muttering things like, if the counselor finds out, motherfucker, I'm going to break his legs, son of a bitch, and so on without interruption until we arrived at Arjimiro's house. I was chuckling at Arjimiro played a quite dirty trick on us. He slammed on the brakes and the airbag almost came out. He got out of the car running. He didn't even wait for me and threw himself to the door. He banged against the door a thousand times and when he got tired, I mean two thousandth of a second later, he took out the gun and shot twice in such a way that bumped me more off than the braking. No, it wasn't that he shot at me. He shot at the lock. The door opened shyly and Arjimiro and his wife put their heads out of the window, hugging each other with the same poor devil's face they had during the previous visit and not showing panic at all for what had happened, as if they hadn't listened to the shots, or it was the most natural of the world. Ramon went in, and I got out of the car, slowly. I should got out in a hurry as soon as I saw him took out the gun, to tell him to be sensible, to tell him not to do such a thing. I mean to make him see reason, but deep down I was enjoying the spectacle, and at the end, if Arjimiro had the cold headness to lie to him, he should face the consequences, and if Ramon killed him, he had guns permit, so he was grown up enough to take on his faults. When I got inside, the married couple were crying like in the servant's funeral, loud but without feeling. Ramon and his lighted eyes were aiming at them with the gun and a steady hand. He looked like other person. It seemed a movie. He told me to look around everything until I found the deeds. I didn't like him ordering like that, so I told him to do it on his own, because I was not his servant. The kid was getting high and mighty. He looked at me with his lighted eyes and aimed at me.
me with his gun. At me! And he made a looked at the door from the corner of his eye, but he realized I was seeing him. Ramon took it badly, I didn't faint before his authority, and he lighted up a bit more. But as he saw, I still didn't pay attention, set the safety back and looked at the couple. Where the hell are they? He shouted. Archimedo looked at his wife and his wife at him, but they really didn't say a word, nor the looks informed on the hiding place. But in spite of the general lack of collaboration there was in that living room, Ramon didn't give up. He got closer to the figure they had in the cabinet. He took it firmly and threw it to the ground, breaking it into pieces. They looked at each other again without giving way. Then Ramon took other figure that looked more expensive than the previous and gave it the same ending. And so he did with all the decoration the middle-class living room cabinet had without the couple turned a hair. Until he opened the glass door and he grabbed a plate with golden edges and blue refined flowers with green leaves, which was part of the china on the shelves. He didn't even need to touch the refined china completely. The woman threw herself to his feet in a figurative sense and begged not to drop it. Ramon did as he wasn't paying attention and he took the plate out of its place. Raised it as he was gathering his strength and looked at Arjimiro. Arjimiro looked at his wife, who was seriously crying, seriously, truly and with desperate despair. And just in a second, Ramon had the deeds on his hands instead of the china. Ramon let the plate go because he wanted to take the bunch of deeds with his two hands to make sure they didn't mess him about again. He sat down on the sofa and opened the folder, checked one by one all the deeds. This time he took his time, not to verify the authenticity, because he was as good as me with that. I mean, not good at all. But to analyze the couple's reactions, the woman kept on crying desperately, looking at the china on the shelves, and her husband was consoling her, not a single peek at Ramon, not one waiting for his blessing, not one of it is passing, nothing. The only thing they were worried about was to put the plate back on the same place it had been a few minutes before that unfortunate incident they could hardly forget. Ramon was pleased and left, without saying the classic, come on, 
or anything. He left and I after him because I had nothing to do there. He got in the car and started it on although I still wasn't in. I was able to open the door before the car began to run and I threw myself over the seat. I mean, over the folder with the deeds inside. And that was the Ramon's biggest mistake. Didn't take me into account and let the deeds within my reach. The truth is that I wasn't thinking about doing anything with them. Since I had left my job, I had certain level of allergy to papers, contracts, deeds, and whichever thing that pointed out and clear a will of commitment. But he bugged me. It was a miracle I didn't sprain my ankle getting into the car. And he had to pay for it. Who did he think he was? I fastened the seatbelt in a hurry and afterwards I pulled it slowly to let me stand up enough to take the folder. And once I had it over my nap, I heard the power calling for me, blinding me. Ramon was too concentrated on putting his foot down to realize what I was doing. I opened the folder carefully. I didn't want to make any sudden movement that revealed my betrayal. Not going as far as open the folder completely, I checked the names and addresses. I only took three. I wasn't sure which ones had Ramon chosen the other time, but I knew there weren't none of those three. I wanted to save time. If I took one of the deeds he was interested in, he would discover me earlier. And at the end, with three well placed, I could do a great business. I took them out smoothly. And then I faced the first problem. I knew the purpose thing was a war. If it was a CD or a flash memory, I could hide it easily, but the deeds were a bit more difficult. In the first moment, I hid them under the folder, waiting for a brilliant idea that took long to come. When the car stopped, we were in front of Andres' house. I was surprised because I thought the deeds thing was a private and independent business of the suitcases one. Ramon stopped, turned the car off, put the handbrake and the gear and the whole thing, got out of the car and went away, ignoring me again. I didn't get angry this time. I even pretended not to see him to save time and hide my little treasure during his absence. Suddenly, he came back and he almost caught me red-handed. I'm coming, don't worry, he said urgently. I shook my head, making an innocent face that if he wasn't in such a hurry, he would see it was false. But his unexpected visit made me more careful. I waited for him to go into the building, 
and keeping an eye on the entrance. I looked for a place to hide my deeds. They were already mine. Mine and totally mine. I went into the glove compartment, into the door's pockets, everywhere, and there wasn't anything I could use. So I took the jacket on the back seat. It was Ramon's. It smelled of a mixture of tobacco, alcohol, and expensive cologne. I put it on, even it was hot. I unpicked the leaning at the armpit level, just a bit. They needed to get the raw deeds into it. Once in, I unrolled them. The truth is that the jacket looked some kind of rigid, but it didn't show too much. Unless somebody hacked me, of course. I closed the folder again and rehearsed the most natural posture, the most logical excuse to take the jacket and, above all, to be wearing it. He went in as energetic as he had left, sat down and started the car without a word. He looked at me and made an odd gesture, but he didn't say a word. Where are we going? I asked. To the open ground. He said, keeping the sight on the road. Oh, how well it sounded at dusk, the open ground. Well, it could sound quite sexual or pretty terrifying. At that moment, sure, under the expensive Cologne influence, I saw it on the sexual side. Yeah, sure, of course. And I was so willing to it, to tell the truth. Are you cold? He asked. Uh, no, I'm not. I said, still immersed. Cold? How could I? It was hot in the summertime. The sun was on our faces. The car didn't have air conditioning, the windows were closed, and don't forget, I was wearing a suit jacket, plus the typical heat of the impure thoughts. And the jacket? He insisted. What jacket? I said in a world of my own. The one you are wearing? He said with a sweet voice. Why did you put the jacket on, if you are not cold? There, the surprised one was I. I expected he was angry because I had encroached his jacket without permission. But his voice didn't seem to go that way. Uh, no, you see, I, I felt cold before. I may catch a cold, you know, of being standing. I said with clumsiness, trying to reveal some holes that let the water run flooding in. I, I can take it off if it bothers you. No, not at all. It's that... And he didn't say more. He didn't say more until we arrived at the open ground. He looked at the watch and took the folder with the deeds. He didn't even look at me. He opened the folder and as had done before, he spread them to choose those he was interested in. 
This time, instead of the bed, he used me to do it. The truth is that sometimes he really got to make me feel invisible. Sure, he was moving fast, looking at his watch every second. When he found all the deeds he wanted, he put the rest back into the folder. He closed it and looking at the watch again, he breathed with relief. So you actually are giving them to her? I said. Of course, what do you think? He asked. You were going to take them all, I answered. What's up? Don't you ever hear that people that are too greedy can end up with nothing? He said, smiling. It's not worthwhile to betray her. Betray her completely, you mean? I corrected him, referring to the deeds he had taken away from the load. These are part of the deal, he said. Of course. That's why you take them before she gives them to you. To save her the effort, I said with malice. Of course, he answered, smiling also with malice. It didn't take long to the official car to arrive, and Ramon got out with the folder and gave it to the councillor. I felt a big relief because he left the door opened, and the draft ran through the car. When I took out the jacket, it wouldn't smell of tobacco, alcohol and expensive cologne. It should smell of Sianna's dehydration. He said goodbye with a handshake. The woman took the folder with insecurity, with a kind of distrust, I think. Will they be the authentic ones? She seemed to think. Let's go to your place. Ramon said firmly, getting into the car. Why? I asked. Why nothing? We'll have to go somewhere. Or do you want to wander around the whole day? He said, this time stroppy. He didn't talk in the way, but he drove calmly. Why those deeds in particular? I asked. He was driving. I thought the deeds thing was one private business of yours. Didn't you say you need so badly someone to trust? I kept on talking. He was driving. Is Sandra at Andres' place? He was driving. And I stopped talking because I was about to confess I had stolen the three deeds as long as he said a single word. I was getting nervous. He didn't even breathe, losing his temper as always. I drove him mad. Suddenly he stopped. He double-parked and looked at me. Take out the jacket, he ordered. Excuse me? I said with a squeaky voice, trying not to give myself away more than my voice had done. It's impossible. You don't feel hot. You are sweating. I'm sweating. Take the jacket out, he said again firmly. <laughs> but... but I said without finding an excuse, because I was really sweating like the before of a deodorant commercial. He was staring at me seriously. I didn't know what to do. I didn't mind much he found out either. He plenty knew that as few reliable I was, I was the best he had. The 
that was what he had said. Anyway, I deserved that little portion of profit. He got out of the car and took a deep breath. He went round the car, opened my door and said, You are making me feel randy with the damn jacket. Take it out once and for all, he ordered Sidious. I took it out. Of course I did. If I was a smart girl, I wouldn't. I would take advantage of him. But he seemed so upset and sincere that I did it. I gave the jacket to him. He took it and went back to his side. He threw it on the back seat, sat down and started the car again. Thanks, he said, getting over the suffocation. I was looking to the other side, not to let him see me smiling. After all, I still had my charm. Oh, I was a price idiot and gave him the deeds back without any resistance. At the end, he felt randy with everything. He should be used to. Why was it going to make him feel so much anguish? I looked at him. I stared at him. I stared right at him. He stopped the car again. Okay, he said, stretching his arm to the back seat. He took the jacket and threw it to me. I don't know why I said anything. It wasn't that important. I didn't put it on because he started the car and the seatbelt that was like a rope didn't give me room for so many maneuvers. But I grabbed it as if my life depended on it. He didn't say anything when we arrived home. I was cautious enough not to open my mouth until I had kept the deeds in a safe place. He sat down on the couch stretched his arms out all along the back of the couch and got relaxed. He waited for a while, took the remote, switched the telly on and put his feet on the Santa table, making himself at home. I would be angry if I hadn't to go to the bathroom so urgently to take the deeds out of his jacket and kept them in some ingenious hiding place. Inside of the bathroom, the imagination couldn't run too much. I didn't have a secret trap door or anything. I tried to roll them again inside of the lining to take them out through the hole I had made. Seeing that was kind of difficult and I almost had to unpick all the lining. He could see the hole anyway. I left them under the bathroom cabinet. It wasn't too much witty, but it was the only place I found. I washed my face and poured some cologne over the jacket so it didn't smell pretty bad and I went out to put that intruder in his place. Don't make yourself so comfortable. You are not at your place. I said giving him the jacket. He took it and left it on the couch arm, not attaching importance. Take your feet out of the table. I said again. 
he put his feet on the ground and kept on watching the telly. I sat down on the other stream of the couch. He looked at me and tapped next to him, asking me to get closer. He was acting weird. I was afraid. I still thought he knew something about the deeds I had stolen from him. And he was pretending to catch me by the neck and strangle me until I confessed. He tapped again to make me go next to him. The second time wasn't scary at all, but who did he think I was? A bitch? He looked at me. Are you fine yet? He asked. He was asking it in a good mood, or so it seemed. Don't you smell of cologne? Or of that fake thing you use instead? He said apparently with no malice. Of course I didn't like it. Of course it was bad quality, but one goes as far as he can. And it smelled well. She turned around up to find the smell without incomprehensibly reaching the jacket stuck to him. And as he wasn't able to find the source of the scent, he came next to me. It's you, he said. No way, it was the jacket. I'm not, I said. He got closer too, in his words, checked it out. But as well as he approached his nose, his mouth did too. That made me think he was sincere when he told me he was feeling randy. The truth is that it might be contagious, because as he was going along my neck, my temperature was increasing more and more, and a lot more. And as he was going down to the shoulder and his hand undoing the blows, I was abandoning myself to a feeling of pleasure I hadn't experimented for long. And without wanting it, my hands were pulling his shirt out and undoing the belt in an accomplished choreography that ended on the floor some indefinite time later. My heart beat strongly and I was overcame with a restless feeling. I wished it was the same as with some of that handsome men that passed through my life, but it wasn't. I was looking at him laying on the ground almost asleep and I only felt like hugging him and telling him I couldn't live without him and all that stuff I knew it was a silly thing to say because in two minutes I couldn't put up with him. What are you going to do with your life? Ramon asked looking at me. And there it was. The two minutes had gone. I didn't answer. Not even looked at him. If I went mad, maybe I would try to take advantage of his vulnerability and neither was my style sinking so low. What are you going to do with money? He insisted. I took a breath. At least 
He didn't took the you are in our own track lecture way. I'm thinking about coming back. He kept on talking, laying face up and looking at me. Coming back, coming back. But I don't know if I'm ready. He wasn't. I could tell it crystal clear. He still was at an awkward age. And as soon as he met all his ex, and the new ones became also ex, he would feel claustrophobia again and would leave. Everything is so different, so weird. It's like a fresh start and I like it. I like you, but... But you don't know how long the novelty is going to last, do you? I said to save time. And at last he turned his face and looked at me gently, with no offense. Yes, right. I don't know if it's the adrenaline or if it's real. He confessed. It's adrenaline, I said. And like it or not, he nodded. At the end, it was an excuse, a replacement for the typical, this was what it was. Don't you think there is anything else? But a bit more classy. Chiana, what are you doing lying down there? You are going to catch a cold, wrap you up. Sandra said kindly. I saw her liking a dream not wanting to wake up, tired and with the back shattered. She brought the couch blanket and wrapped me up, or that was what I imagined she did. I was fighting against my eyes to keep them open. But to tell the truth, without too much enthusiasm and without too much success. Tiana, wake up! Sandra sat again next to me. And I woke up, not at all bothered, half-heartedly and with a buried happiness for finding Sandra again, feeling so good, so peaceful, and especially so alive. She was looking at me in a strange way, as he wanted to say something without being able to do it. She didn't do more than look at the blanket she had covered me with and behind me. When she got tired of me not understanding the signs, took my face with her hands and turned me around to make me see Paco behind me and Alberto and Andres and Alicia and, of course, Salva splitting his sides laughing. I wrapped myself in a hurry. I put up with the shame as I could, and I walked to my bedroom so honorable and without saying a word. I dressed up, although however much I tried, I couldn't take away the naked feeling of waking up in front of so many people. At last, I went out to face the music. I kept on noticing funny looks. Of course, it was my perception. Wasn't Ramon with you? Andres asked. I didn't remember him. 
he was getting into the habit of leaving me laying around while I was unconscious. Kind of Prince Charming, but on the other way around, instead of coming to wake me up, he took advantage of me being asleep to run away. It was an interesting review of the classic, dreadful. There is never a Caspian when you need him. I thought he was here. It seems he got what he wanted and doesn't need you anymore. He said without mercy. And I don't know if he was talking about the run in the hay or the deeds or the two things. The thing is that the rat bastard was right. Didn't he tell you where he was going? Alberto asked. Well, no, he didn't. I said at last. And what are you doing here? Weren't you missing? Missing? Sandra asked, alarmed. Of course, I phoned you thousands of times and you didn't answer. I didn't know where you were, nor did Salva. I said. Sandra looked at Paco with angry eyes. Think that dispelled the depths about her involvement in whichever was happening. Pacos rocked his shoulders and Alicia seemed to enjoy the lovely beer's confrontation. She was watching Andres with accomplice eyes and grabbed him by the arm not to let him escape. You see, I had to learn that because they always escape from me. Salva looked at me, not wanting to be involved in the pickle, as if it had nothing to do with him. And we began an argument over. I didn't say, you did say so. It was you. What the hell I was going to be? Everybody joined too. It took us a long time. And it didn't look like it was going to end if suddenly we hadn't heard a huge knock on the door and firm steps approaching us. I turned round hopeful, thinking it was Ramon that had come back. The rest also turned round to see who it was and even some of them laid their hands to their ankle or their armpit. God knows searching what. It wasn't Ramon. He was Carlos that came in hysterical, kind of hulk, with his shirt half undone and out of his trousers. Where is the money? He shouted as if he was mugging us. Andres took Alicia's hand off his arm. He placed himself in front of her and afterwards, in front of us all, acting as a human shield, standing up to Carlos. Which wasn't very hard, because as soon as he saw such amount of people looking at him, he got scared to death. He pretended not to, but you could tell it on his face and on the times he looked behind, I suppose fearing Somebody came in and caught him by surprise. Anyway, Andres did his macho man duty in Alicia's eyes, 
which was the only one paying attention to him. In the meanwhile, Sandra, Salva and I said once to the others four things in low voice. The classic. I didn't know. I didn't mean to. It doesn't matter. Don't worry. What are we doing with them? What do you know? And the money. Carlos repeated several times that he wanted the money. That his father-in-law had told him we had it. And that he wanted it. Andres, with Alberto's help, tried to convince him with cheap negotiation techniques. Knowing, of course, Carlos wasn't holding a weapon or wasn't scary at all. Anyway, they got to calm him down and to convince him that the money still was in the depths. I smiled with sarcasm when I heard such a thing and Carlos came to us. Do you know where it is? He asked me. I told him I didn't. And it was true, but I knew they had it. I didn't know where, but I was sure they had the money. For sure. They all looked at me badly, including Sandra and Salva. I'm telling you, they took it. I repeat it. Sandra looked with suspicion at Paco again. And again, that Alicia's look. Of course, she made me really mad. No, you see, it was Ramon and this tool idea. I said pointing at Andres and Alberto. Sandra took a breath of relief and Paco a bigger one. We don't have anything, Andres hurried to say. No, sure we don't, Alberto corroborated. But you know where it is, I said. They killed me with the look. Is it true? Do you know? He asked hysterical. Andres was looking at Alicia asking her to take part, to do something. But she, as a good spoiled rich girl, was waiting for him to solve the situation and she didn't say a word. Well, and if we know what? What do we have to tell you? Are you? Andres said, looking at us with contempt. Carlos was a poor devil, but he had his pride. And he didn't like at all the closer Alicia and that smutty guy were. And he didn't like it because during the temporary end of the together living, he realized how he needed her and how in love he was. No! It was because he didn't have anyone to be close to and make her feel jealous and to make her see what she had lost dumping him. He looked at Sandra from the corner of his eye to try his luck, but he didn't find the spark of the first day. That day Sandra thought he was a rich kid of the refined ones. And as every poor devil full of pride, sulked, and with not much to lose, made a fast movement to the back part of his belt, which was almost instantly accompanied by the Andres, Alberto and Paco's same automatic movement to the ankle and the armpit. Carlos was faster, and in a blinking, we had a 
Canon as big as Argentina aiming at us. Sure, at all of us at the time. The gang was pretty big. Salva and I looked at each other, holding a malicious laugh back that was trickling among our teeth. The truth is that the thing was pretty huge. Nor fright, nor the bloody hell. It was too big. Sandra was looking at us with her innocence, according to our wicked deduction. Paco was looking at Sandra and Carlos, the little parts of Carlos he could see behind the gun. It wasn't a look of jealousy, but worry. I almost dare say he was about to act as a human shield like Andres had done at the beginning. And I say at the beginning because once there was a gun involved, he wasn't keen to defend us. I want the money now, Carlos shouted suddenly. And we almost had a fit. An awkward silence had felt waiting for something to happen. Even we really weren't ready it did. You, he said, aiming at Andres. Raise your hands, and you too, he ordered to Paco and Alberto. Alicia kept aside, as the problem hadn't anything to do with her. She wasn't surprised at all by her just a couple of days former peaceful husband's behavior either. Once the three men of the house raised their hands, giving themselves up to a complete posh kid that didn't know anything about nothing, Carlos demanded they said where the money was. They resisted for a few seconds, the time Carlos needed to pull the safety. They told him even the safety doors coordinate in binary code and the treasure guard DNA 12 marks. Carlos, even with the squeamishness, he had that lawyer sharpness of not trusting even his own mother and grabbed Andres by the neck, in that way of grabbing by the neck that immobilizes. And they began to walk. Before walking out of the door, he said, we'd better don't follow them if we value in some way our friend's life. Yes, fine. A little rookie mistake. Don't ask him for too much. Salva and I hadn't time enough to run after them. Don't think badly of us. The rest didn't try to stop us either. We went down keeping the distance. Not to spoil the fun, Carlos was having acting like the movie bad guy because he really was doing his best and Andres deserved it for sure. They were going to the helicopter's place, but we took long in realizing because they went by Santa Cristina's side. Of course, we couldn't find a way down from the other side. In front of the guard, it was Andres who spoke. We were lucky because Salva had frolicked with one of those uniforms some nights before and gave the poor man a lecture about the other guy that you could easily see he didn't feel like hearing. But he did because 
he was polite and let us in not to put up with us anymore. Once in, we could see Andres standing with calm expression, I mean, expressionless, with no intention. Carlos was in front of him walking restless from one side to another, with fast step and short turn. At his back there were industrial cages filled with our suitcases. Our treasure! The scene surprised me. I expected to see Carlos jumping for joy, opening the suitcases hysterically, throwing the notes to the air saying, I'm rich! I'm rich! I am rich! But no, he was worried. He didn't even realize we were there. We neither went in saying hello or so, but we had made some noise. Carlos took a look at his watch and started to sweat. God, what am I doing? He said, taking his hair off his face and looking to the ceiling. What am I doing? He shouted. Take the money and run. I told Sal by low voice. He white laughed. And this time Carlos did find out we were there. He wasn't in such a daze. What are you doing here? I told you not to come or I would kill him. Carlos shouted, approaching Andres with the gun on his hand. Well, is that we don't give a damn. Do him what you want, I said. He looked at us shocked, as if we had no feelings. He at us. He that was aiming at us with a gun that looked like a massive cannon from somewhere ship. Well then, the money is mine, he said. Well, no, we don't see you keen to take it. Why are you still thinking? Salva said. I don't have time. What am I doing? I don't have time, he said. Why are you in such a hurry? Salva asked with malice. What? I don't have time to childishness. Carlos said serious. And so serious he got forgot he was wearing a gun and that had Andres scared to death and especially that had Andres scared to death behind him. Andres did the usual in these cases, ran as fast as he could to get out of the firing line leaving us at the mercy of that psychopath. And Carlos didn't realize at all. He didn't stop looking at his watch and saying, I have no time! I have no time! If you are so run out of time, you should start to take the money. There is a lot. I said. Where is it? Carlos asked, turning around to where Andres should be. And he was surprised Andres wasn't there. But he kept on going around to see if someone could explain to him where the money was. Then, 
we heard steps at the end of a dark corridor and he started to walk and we after him just to see if we could get something and not thinking about what could be waiting for us into that darkness Carlos walked determined nervous and with the watch on his mind Salva was laughing because it was the first time he saw Carlos nervous it always was him who calmed Salva down and Salva had to put up with that everything is going to be alright topic we walked behind Carlos without taking into account it was darker and darker that we didn't know what was in there and that we didn't know the way out yet Salva was calmer it was clear that the thing with the security guard was bearing fruit we kept on walking until Andres appeared in front of us heading a little hunky squat that got our pupils dilated maybe not Carlos, it wasn't his thing we took advantage of being some steps far from Carlos to turn around and not because we didn't like what was expecting us ahead it was more to prevent and just not to waste all the possibilities of catching something up but we had no chance to think about which corridor we wanted to go through no no that man said stand there not a single movement but he wasn't speaking only to us Andres showed a face of surprise and Carlos of despair and one as well as the other were afraid sure their faces showed fear and discounting the man was only followed by two like him three men with such a pounce they seemed to be pregnant of triplets and cholesterol cheeks what a lot of known people around here this is how you will pay me the man said no you see Andres said Carlos looked down and threw the gun aside it didn't matter because nobody cared the man with the pounce and the cholesterol cheeks made a face to us to get closer to the security guys behind Andres and Carlos also moved even the gesture didn't include him with another slight head movement the man called Andres next to him Andres went with his usual cockiness but not as plenty as when he talked to us Salva was fraternizing with the sexy squad and Carlos looked at his watch with sadness we couldn't hear what they were talking about we only could see Andres pretending calm and his nervous hand playing with the back pocket of his trousers revealing him the old paunchy man was making gestures of shouting of being making a good scene the two paunchy courts were paying attention to the talking without taking part we were staring at them when suddenly the lights switched on all the lights 
and all paled into insignificance. The hunky guys, not so hunky, and the punchy men, not so punchy, and the way out, not so way out. Some peaceful steps were approaching, and some long shadows came to us with a terrifying calm. We all were quiet, almost without breathing, waiting for an alien that would devour us as soon as we blinked. What's up, Councillor? Raymond said, coming in slowly. Here he is, the big traitor. The punchy one, who obviously was the councillor, accused. There is always someone worse. Always. Lemon answered in an enigmatic way. Where is the money? One cannot trust anybody. Look, the poor devil of my son-in-law. There, looking down. The councillor said with contempt. The money is where it was. Deep down, Ramon said. You say? But who do you think I am? One of these Madrilenian duties? I had a truck waiting at the outside. And, according to Andres, it is here. You see? There are traitors everywhere. The councillor said. Ramon didn't turn a hair. As he just knew what he got. They argue for a bit more, and at the end, the councillor took his cell phone and with a now he had there an army. As you can see, you don't have too many chances. If you don't want us to close this stall down, give us the dodge. The councillor said quietly, You cannot close the stall. This belongs to the coast department. You have nothing to say about it. You wish that kind of power. I have already told you, the money is not here. Ramon said with confidence. Andres looked at him with distrust. But not distrusting his strategy worked. Just distrusting, Ramon had played a dirty trick on him and actually the money wasn't there anymore, even he had the key code. Go ahead, search what you want. Ramon invited the councillor with calm while he told the security guys to move aside. The security team opened a gap separating Salva from me to let the councillor's army pass. The army, before a councillor signed, moved forward along the dark corridor behind us. Ramon was waiting impassive, looking at the councillor, challenging him. The two councillor's friends went after the army as soon as one of them came back to say it was clear. And you? Don't you want to go with them? Ramon asked. You shouldn't trust them either. There are a lot to share with, Andres said. The councillor tried to stay calm, but the greed ruled him and walked away, of course, with calm. The secret of the power 
is on the calm. Carlos looked at his father-in-law, asking for permission to go with him. Don't dare move, the counselor ordered. Carlos obeyed, defeated, without self-esteem. Ramon was calm, expressionless, seeing the counselor disappearing in the dark. Andres was next to him, with his nervous hand still in his back pocket. And all remained in silence again. Everybody out! Ramon shouted in low voice. The security guys grabbed Carlos, Salva and I, and we followed Ramon and Andres along the corridor. In the outside, there were some motorboats waiting for us. Ramon was standing, seeing us boarding. I followed the rhythm the night beat, letting them carry me, not saying a word, not knowing where we were going. But calm down. We didn't go far. They left us at the Lorbe Harbor without giving more explanations than they needed. It was what the protocol demanded in cases of civilian population with all the tickets to become hostages. We hadn't run away. They got rid of us. Yes, to avoid potential personal damages, but they just got rid of us. The motorboats stopped at the edge of the wharf and we got out. Carlos, Salva and I first. I almost thought they had made the trouble just to throw us there in the very water edge. Ramon and Andres got out after us. The security guys remained impassive in the motorboats. Well, here it is. Ramon said looking at us. Two, we three, nothing personal, are moving. Fine, Carlos said defeated. I didn't say anything. Salva was staring, pushing me to talk. But I didn't say a thing. If he acted like a professional and impersonal, me too. And keeping the distance, we said goodbye right there. And just like that, the treasure's story, the conspiracy thing, and the little beneath stuff ended. All that had to end, ended. All of everything, and that's that. Right? Andres asked. No, it actually wasn't a question. It was a right of these men say when they go shopping with their girlfriends. Ramon looked again at Withery, waved a cold goodbye and left. They got in the motorboats and disappeared into the darkness of the night, into the silence of the sea. The truth is that I hadn't time to react. Salva was afraid of the storm and was hiding under Carlos' protection. We went up to the town to find a taxi that Carlos paid for because us, as always, were broke. On the way home, I thought once again about the way they took us out of the anger. They could, at least, 
sent us home with the security guys who were so good looking and Salva already knew how they worked. I didn't expect it, that was the end. When I was at the boat, I mean. I wasn't ready and I couldn't react. One punch in the polite Ramon's nose would be the right thing to do. And even though, when the taxi stopped in front of my building and I went upstairs, I was hoping to find him sitting down on my couch again. And no, he wasn't. My house was in silence, with the intermittent noise of the sea going up through the sewer system, as it had been before the short adventure of the treasure. The following days were of resumption, of low tide, of salty biscuits and blanket on the couch in front of the telly, Paco and Sandra on the small one, Salva and I on the big one. Yes, Paco stayed with us, without money or profit, since love has. We took the money and profit thing, for granted of course, as the innocent thing, because we didn't really ask it. As a matter of fact, from the motorboat they own, we avoided the treasure issue up to the point of not watching Pirates of the Caribbean as much as Orlando appeared on it, or watching the Treasure Island as good as the Chieftain's original soundtrack was. We didn't hear about Alicia, Carlos or Andres again. It's not that we miss them, it's just a remark. We neither talked again about that topic. Actually, during the resumption, we didn't talk much about anything. I didn't want to put Sandra in the awkward position of having to defend Paco. Salva didn't want to put Paco in the awkward position of having to defend his friends. And Sandra, Paco, Salva and absolutely everyone who knew me a bit didn't want to hear me go on and on about the foolish, naive, gullible I was and the pig men were. The money. The money ended where it had to end because it's well known the saying, money calls for money. And we didn't have any, Ramon Ida. But he had what it's known as position of power and negotiation power. By what I found out later, when the bygones became bygones at last, Ramon and Andres came back to anger and made a deal with the councillor to share out the treasure. Not out of the councillor's free will, but out of the impossibility of going out if they didn't reach an agreement. If it hadn't seemed logic to me, they all had came with us, leaving the councillor and his army in the inside with the money. This logic it seemed to me, seeing the councillor coming in with all his army along a dark corridor without leaving someone at the entrance. I didn't think it carefully then. It was later 
when I needed the things made sense. They didn't. It only could be explained using the grit as excuse. The consular thing, I mean. Ramos was easier. Obviously, not all his strengths were the ones he showed. Plus, the anger was a central facility. Kind of clandestine, but central. The consular was happy with the amount the people from the Universal Savings Bank had promised as commission. He decided, just like that, he'd rather keep the money and find a bad explanation not to give the bank's manager all his part, than look good but with less money. The explanation he offered to the manager, as you can imagine, was that we, Salva and I, took a percentage of the recover. They shared the rest, which was quite a lot, equally among Andres, Alberto and Ramon. They should be very happy when Paco, in his blindness of love, found them to say he was out of the business before Salva and I arrived home and told Sandra she had been only an entertainment. Because she hadn't, and because at the end his feelings were truly real. The only good thing remaining, the only thing that let us look with a smile at the zero zones clean up works. I neither heard again about the councillors. If they intended to get little Venice, they had done it silently, because no scandal had been published on the media, not even on the grapevine. And we saw how our way of living was vanishing, while the local elections confirmed the happy people were with the zero song recovering for all the citizenship. And nobody remembered already their covers, or the central shops, nor the tourists came searching some treasure stories, or clandestine parties next to the tower. Oh, yes, I had the impression that the title Nobody would talk about us once dead was true. It wasn't I was getting older, which I actually was, or that I was seeing near our end, which I wasn't. It was a feeling of you cannot fight against the Earth's rotation as much as you think that if you walk in the other direction you can. The sea always goes back to its place. Or maybe not, because the sea kept on the same place it had invaded with the tsunami, and it didn't move as much little Venice they built on, and as much useless dogs they tried to make. The works were going slowly, surely, but slowly. The tide, as I'm saying, didn't make things easy. We neither. At night, we went down to the former zero zone and boycotted the machinery. 
a silly way because the only thing we knew about mechanics was how to turn on the boat, the bunch of poly, and a few things more. But we did some damage. We did a silent resistance. Like little minis nibbling the flower packets. It's not much. But if every night they nibble one different packet, it hurts a bit more. When the cleanup works were getting closer to our houses, the resistance was getting less silent and less naive. We went to the grocery to buy eggs on sale to throw them to the guys on the machines. And not even the police dared vacate us. They didn't count on our ruthness. The Chapulín Colorado would say. And the truth is that I'm not surprised. Salva's house, as well as Sandra's, had been demolished the day of the Glamorous Hearts special marathon about the wedding. We stayed awake all night not to lose a single detail. And when they went back to their places the next afternoon, all they found was an open area of worn away concrete. At first, I thought Salva was teasing me, because he knew I had been dreaming for days they pulled our houses down and we had to sleep into a shop window without a blind. But when Sandra called so nervous, I believe it. She wouldn't play with such a thing. She was a serious and responsible girl. Plus, Paco was crying hysteric behind her, which made it more credible. That was the first and only battle we lost, which taught us a lesson. A lesson that we learned carefully. Salva, Paco and Sandra moved into my building. We made a shift quadrant not to leave ever the building empty and we had an emergency call to ask the rest for help. Yes, that building you see at the end of the little Venice, that's so beautiful and original that doesn't match the rest of the architectural joint. That, that is our building. They were in such a hurry to finish and such pain we were that they preferred to restore the building instead of pulling it down. And even though it was complicated for them because they had no option but doing it with us inside. Nor the assault forces could take us away. It's what having a bit of gunsoft dynamite to hand has. After a lot of years, we could have drains, running water and elevator. Well, the elevator was a novelty, as well as the front made of grisit in bright colors, making a spectacular mosaic. So beautifully this, that they even reached the point of wanting to occupy the ground floors and some of the empty flats. Unsuccessfully, of course. At the ground floors, Salva and I 
set a takeaway crepes restaurant. Not a kind of greasy food restaurant. It's a classy place. The thing is that we didn't feel like putting up with people. In the other ground floor, Sandra set a bookshop. She didn't earn as much as we did, but she earned her life as she could read for free all the gossip magazines. We had seen the opening ceremony on TV. Sat down on the couch as we used to do. We recognized the mayor and nobody else. We even made jokes laughing at ourselves for getting involved in a botch plot like that. At the money that had passed right in front of us and we had let go. And that, at least, we had discovered our hidden vocation for cooking crepes. From time to time, Ramon passed by our stall accompanied by a blonde that wanted to come in and buy something to eat, even though he didn't let her. It seemed to me the same girl every time. In pieces I rescued from Paco's absent-mindedness, I knew he had came to stay. The blonde and that girl from years before looked dangerously alike. But the weird thing is that I wasn't even disappointed. It didn't cause more feelings than the curiosity to know what he was doing here, in A Coruña, if he had as many money as he should have. I supposed it was for pretending. I didn't want to ask Paco not to go into the deception. The months passed by pleasant and merry, boring and monotonous, I would say. And even we were doing well, I still had the feeling it couldn't end like that. It was a more comfortable life, without a doubt, but I missed that excitement of the darkness, of the finding something amazing every day, and especially of being stinking rich getting drunk with the jet set. Yes. Disappointment. I was overcome by disappointment from time to time. The divorce occupied all the programs. We closed one hour earlier and Paco had ordered a pizza for the four of us. It was a bit late but still in time. If the commercials lasted a bit, the delivery wouldn't interrupt us. So anxious I was that I pressed the interphone as soon as I heard the first loud ring. I opened the door and waited with urgency from the telly. They rang again and I opened again. A bit angrier this time, especially because the rest were so not bothered on the couch and I was standing there mounting guard. They could invite some time to their places, for God's sake. I was dealing with these thoughts on my mind, preparing a telling of probably undeserved for the delivery guy, when out of the elevator came an old couple that looked like rich people, and that brought an evil desperation in their eyes that took me back to former exciting years. They went in determined, not 
in a great for an invitation and stood in front of the telly to catch all our attention. After them, the delivery guy came in and got round the telling off because the dying to know had suddenly blurted the anger out. You are this, that before, the woman said without wanting to talk too much. We were surprised somebody remembered those times. The pizza guy was putting the ear while he searched some coins he had to give me back. Keep the change. It must be hard to find. Go away, I told him. He left, not wanting to. I closed the door and went ahead. We are those that before, I said mysteriously. I noticed a spark in Salva's look and other in the visitor couple. You know we had sued the council, the man said. And he said it as if we really had to know. You should know it, she said. She seemed not to like our ignorance. They looked at each other with annoyance, as they were wasting their time, disappointed. Well then, we are not well informed, he said. He said they had talked to a journalist, that shouldn't be very good because Sandra worked in a bookshop and we hadn't heard anything about that stuff. And that he had given them the name of an I don't know who that had a restaurant in the central shops, that had told them about Ola that sold candles, that had talked to another that was living in Sara now, that knew about... In short, they ended coming to us. By the things we could tell from one and the other, they had sued the council for their rights over Little Venice. It seemed that years ago, when they were moved into and enjoying the peace of their detached house, resulting of the compensation for the zero sons evacuation, some friends told them that the people from the council had went around asking them to sign the renunciation of the potential rights they could have over their former properties on the zero zone. They signed, of course they signed. They came with the deeds and that shoddy document they had signed when they received the economic compensation. Later, they knew they had visited all their former neighbors, and at last they found out there were other two owners apart from them who hadn't been asked for the signature. So surprised they were that compared their documents with the ones the people had signed had. They could tell the shady document they had signed when they received the compensation for leaving the zero song was a simple receipt of the money. Just that, without any more clarification. They also saw the new document explained clearly the renunciation to whichever right they could have over their former properties, turning into ineffective the deeds 
in the council's hands, even their names were in them. They felt inspired. There had to be something to scratch for sure. And even though they imagined there should be a reason why the council hadn't contact with them, they talked to a trustworthy lawyer that saw he could do well out of it from one part or another. The lawyer told them the first thing to do was taking a legal action against the council for usurping the properties. In the time the trial lasted, they found out that the council didn't have their deeds. They knew it because woman number one that played Ludo with woman number two that had coffee with man number one that knew a councillor that told him some councillors had tried to take it all bringing the deeds of the properties. But the council was able to react in time because they took the list with the owners and made them sign the renunciation, making ineffective the deeds with the former holder's name on them, which they forgot to change in its moment. They took advantage of the owner's innocence, and they were lucky they still had some. Innocence, I mean. As they were talking, my memories were refreshing, and that flash moment made me remind the deeds I had hidden under the bathroom cabinet and that I had completely forgotten. And from the moment I remembered it on, I didn't do more than trying my face didn't show it and finding a good excuse to go to the bathroom to make sure they actually were there. Salva noticed something was happening to me. Even I don't think he suspected such a thing. He thought I wanted to get rid of them because they brought bad memories back. There's anything left down there. Don't ask to go there. There is nothing we can do, Salva said. The olds were disappointed. Completely disappointed. They sat down and their sad, gloomy faces got to move me. And the rest too. I told Sandra to come with me to the bathroom. She was surprised. And more surprised she was when I asked her to move the cabinet carefully. And even more, when I took out the deeds the olds were talking about and that she thought were completely foreign to us. And that, she asked in low voice. I stole them from Ramon, I answered. She put a happy surprise face as if for the first time she believed that thing I always was saying about moving on. Are you going to give them to the couple? Sandra asked. Yeah, sure, I said. Didn't you see their faces? And in that moment, in that very moment, I realized that a lot of pity and so, but the olds had taken the compensation for the evacuation and we had done the entire job and hadn't earned a single cent. Maybe we'd better make a deal, I said. The old couple still were distressed. Paco was trying to console them and Salva was trying to hear the telly. 
Well, let's see. I said trying to speak with sweet boys, although Sergeant's voice came out instead. Here I have three deeds. But I also feel like having the half of all. They looked at each other. They didn't listen the, the half of all thing. Nor they remembered they had rheumatism or osteoarthritis. They got up. They jumped for joy and kissed everyone and said we were the saviors, that they just knew it, that our reputation was well deserved. Salva looked at me with the same surprised face Sandra did, and with a spark of greed when he heard the half of all thing, of course. I accepted the token of thanks without getting moved or abandoned my sergeant position, especially without letting go of the deeds. I was grabbing them as my life depended on them again. Once the euphoria went off, I repeated the half of all thing. They seemed not bothered at all. They made a pair of phone calls and, in a short time, we had standing at our door another old woman and a couple of olds more. It's not I'm being disrespectful. They really were elderly. The thanks scene repeated again and Salva insisted on the half of all things before I did. They made a last call and the lawyer came, not so excited, and insisted pretty more than the olds in taking the deeds with them. Which they didn't, of course. The olds didn't like it much, but they understood it. The lawyer didn't like it at all, but as Salva stood next to me like a bodyguard, and Paco and Sandra did the same, and above all, we had a reputation in some circles for being formidable. They said goodbye gently and we agreed we would meet at the trial, where they would give us the half of all. The trial was quite quiet. On the council party they brought several lawyers, Carlos among them, that seeing us took him down a peck or two. They even offered a preferential treatment to the olds, that as much as preferential it was, it would never be like the half of all. The councillor of town planning was talking to the ex of his son-in-law and looking at us. We also took him down a peck or two and we still hadn't took out the deeds issue at that point. When it came out, it was worse. For them, I mean. It was great for us. The judge made the olds give the compensation for the evacuation back, just peanuts. And the council gave the former holders their land back, and we Caught the half of all! A big amount of money! A huge amount of money! 
there were two super luxury hotels, a landing stage with mooring and a pay and display car park. A giant amount of money! Especially because we hadn't any spends. The works were financed by the people that had financed them and the judge considered that it was the council's fault to start the works before having the things in order. They didn't even complain. They were grateful they only were three and not all as it was about to be. But don't think it was to our head have the future more than secured. Of course not. Sandra kept on running her bookshop and with Paco. She had a multiple childbirth and the kids ran up and down the stairs the whole day shouting like out of control sin chance. But happy, very happy. Salva and I set a chain of takeaway crepes restaurant all around the world. He, with his part, bought a private jet and he doesn't step the foot on the ground, not even by pure chance. If he isn't at his Caribbean mansion, he is in the Toscana, and if not, in Kenya. Me, I'm getting late to my flight. I had already left Taria Cancino. She goes on and on. But I had to convince her that I'm not going out with any blue-eyed actor, as much as her sources say so. What I don't know is where her sources got here such a thing.